Just a quick warning, guys, before listening to this episode. As we'll mention at the start, due to new equipment, there's some differences in sound. So there's parts where I'm going to come through louder. Um, So just be aware to put your volume at a level that's comfortable for when I'm speaking and prepare for the occasional aggressively loud laugh. (laughs) I tried to keep it to a minimum, but there is a few. So that's just a pre-warning on this episode. Hopefully for the next one, it'll be a bit more balanced. So enjoy. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Twisted Talks. I'm Tanya. And I'm Josh. And this is take two of recording because this week we have headphones and... An extra microphone. An extra microphone. We're all set up and everything. Um, And it's very weird hearing your own voice playing back to you so the first time we recorded i sounded like a robot um josh got distracted so here's hoping that we get it properly this time please bear with us so yeah if you notice any i suppose slow moments or anything like that or if i sound like i'm completely devoid of human emotion that's why (laughs) hey siri (laughs) yes how can i help you (laughs) <laughs> so, um, before we get into today's case, um, there's a massive trigger warning because yes. today we are covering Jeffrey Dahmer and all his fucked up shit. So, with that being said... Buckle up or turn off. Buckle up or turn off, folks. That's that's it. That's yeah. all we can say. <laughs> yeah, because um, there's a lot to it. It's very dense case this is going to be a two-parter yes so part one will be out well uh, this one this one will be out monday the 3rd of october no no the 10th of october and then you will get the second part on On the the 17th of october and then after that we'll be returning to our usual rotation so yeah. I'll be covering a case and then Josh then will be myself a case. then another giant case and then another case so Tanya's next case will actually be the Halloween um day case cuz that Monday's the 31st okay right yes <laughs> yeah, um, no I did know that so right Jumping straight in, I'm starting obviously with childhood and early years, as you do with any serial killer. As you do with anyone. You know, it's all about development. Well, I suppose that brings up the nature versus nurture argument, but anywho, we'll keep that for later. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was born, born, he was (laughs) born in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Ohio. I'm Wisconsin, dear. Sorry, I'm Irish. Um, And I only knew that because I have it wrote in front of me. Nice. Um, So he was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 21st, 1960. His parents were Joyce Annette and Lionel Herbert Dahmer, and Jeffrey was the first of two sons. Now, Joyce was of Norwegian and Irish ancestry, and Lionel was of German and Welsh ancestry. Now, Joyce was a teletype machine instructor, and Lionel was a Marquette University chemistry student, and he later became a research chemist. 
Now, there's mixed reports. There are sources that say Dahmer was deprived of attention as an infant, but other sources claim that Dahmer was doted on as an infant and toddler by both parents. Um, his mother, Joyce, was also supposedly known to be tense, greedy for attention and pity, as well as argumentative with her husband and their neighbours. Now, as Dahmer began the first grade, Lionel's studies kept him busy and away from home a lot of the time. So, when he, But when he was home, his wife, Jeffrey's mother, demanded constant attention and spent an increasing amount of time in bed, as Joyce was a hypochondriac and had depression. Now, on one occasion, Joyce is known to have attempted suicide with Iquinil, a medication used short-term to treat symptoms of anxiety and nervousness. Now, I don't know if it's in modern-day medicine it's only used short-term, and if it was maybe used long-term back then, or if it was also short-term then as well, but that's just like the modern description I got of what Iquinil is. I would... I would assume whenever a medication is given for short-term use, so like here, if you're given Diphene or Ponston or a heavy painkiller that's known to be highly addictive, then you're usually only given like three days of it. Yeah, because they don't um, want it to cause a whole new problem. Yeah, so maybe it's possible that the Equinol was a highly addictive medication and that's why it was short-term. Or it could, could have had be, side effects in the long term. Yeah, or it could have been that they were hoping that it would be a short-term issue. Yeah. Um, so, as a result of all of this, neither Joyce or Lionel devoted much time to their son, who later recollected that from an early age he felt, quote, unsure of the solidity of the family, unquote, recalling extreme tension as well as numerous arguments between his parents during his early years. Um, fine example there of my own voice distracting my yeah. pronunciation. Um, so, Dammer had supposedly been an energetic and happy child, um, but became notably quiet um, after having a double hernia surgery not long before his fourth birthday. Um, at elementary school, Dharma was seen as quiet and timid. One teacher later said she had detected early signs of abandonment issues in Dharma due to his father's absence and his mother's illnesses, uh, the symptoms of which increased when his mother became pregnant with her second child. Uh, even so, Dharma did have a small number of friends in elementary school. Now, the family moved to Doylestown in Ohio, in October 1966, so Dammer would have been about six at this stage, or turning six that year. Okay. Um, it was the December of this year that Joyce gave birth, and Jeffrey was allowed to decide on the name of his new baby brother. Jeffrey chose the name David, and that same year Lionel earned his degree and had started working as an analytical chemist in the nearby, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Akron, also in Ohio. Now, from an early age, Dammer began to have an interest in dead animals, don't they do. all? As you do. It is possible that this fascination could have begun when, at four years of age, Jeffrey saw his father removing animal bones from beneath the family home. Mm -hmm. um, according to Lionel, Jeffrey was oddly thrilled by the sound the bones made and became preoccupied by animal bones, wait for this, which he initially called his fiddlesticks. Oh! 
Mummy, Daddy. Look at my fiddlesticks. Look at my fiddlesticks. Um, from time to time, Dammer would then search beneath and around the family home for more bones. For more fiddlesticks. You know, more fiddlesticks. And um, would explore the body of live animals to discover where their bones were located. Huh. Um, Normal pastime for a child. You know, just a day in the life. Um, now, in 1968, the family moved again, mm-hmm. this time to Bath Township, Summit County, also in Ohio. Okay. Now, this move was their third in two years and sixth since Joyce and Lionel married. So they're moving a lot. Yeah, it's not a lot of consistency for, the, for them or for the yeah. children. Um, the, oh, yeah. So this, I suppose where they moved to, stood in one and a half acres of woodland with a small hut being only a short walk from the house. And this hut was where Dammer began to collect large insects, um, such as dragonflies and moths, as well as skeletons of small animals such as chipmunks and squirrels. And some of these remains were preserved in jars of formaldehyde and stored within the hut. And bear in mind that he was about eight um, when they moved there would simply throw the whole child out, throw the whole child away, start again, hope for a better version. Shove him back in. He's not... He's He's not not cooked yet. He's not done. He's not cooked yet. Um, Two years later, during a chicken dinner, Dahmer asked his father what would happen if the chicken bones were placed in bleach. And then obviously Lionel, believing this to be his son's scientific curiosity... Because I suppose Lionel himself was a scientist, was a scientist or a chemist, um, showed Dammer how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. Um, Dammer then incorporated these preserving techniques into his bone collecting and also began to collect dead animals, including roadkill, which he would dissect and bury beside the hut, with skulls occasionally placed atop makeshift crosses. According to one friend, Dammer had explained to him that he was curious how animals, quote-unquote, fitted together. On one occasion in 1975, so uh, roughly 15 years of age, Dammer decapitated the remains of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull on a stick in the woodland behind his house as a quote-unquote prank he later invited a friend to view the display claiming he had discovered the remains by chance Mm, you would not be my friend anymore no if you came to me and said i found something cool in the woods i'd expect you to show me a witch's coven or something something actually cool not Uh, a dead dog a defiled we would simply no longer be friends i would not associate with you you'd be done i wouldn't associate with myself like uh, just what he was doing to uh, yeah but i want to know as well is that like is that the truth did he discover a dead dog or did he kill a dog and then do it well, no, because he, he oh, cut its head off, but he claims oh, that okay. um decapitated the remains of a dog. So I'm like, did he find the dog as roadkill? Or did he kill the dog and he's just saying that he discovered remains of a dog and then did that? Do you see the look on my face right now? I expect this is not going to leave me for the rest of this case. Probably for the rest of this week. Probably for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's... 
yeah like what he was doing to animals in general is horrible but like anything to do with dogs just gets me and nothing to do with any animal gets me to be honest 110 percent especially just but I, I feel like because for me it's because of the whole i see every single animal as the same yeah whereas insects to me no well, Squishing not so much insects, but I still try not to kill them. I try to catch them and get them out of the house. Yeah. But I will, I will if I have to. You should have seen the size of the spider I squished last night. And the one that was living in my room for God knows how long and oh. bit me. I still have the fang marks on my wrist. Thank God we don't have um, venomous spiders. Well, actually, thank God it wasn't like a false widow or anything. Yeah. Love a bit of gangrene. Did. Did. <laughs> but anyway, let's, um, let's continue. Yeah, so... Before, there's only like one little bit before we move on to your uh-huh. first part. Um, so the same year Lionel had taught his son how to preserve animal bones, Joyce had began increasing her daily dose of equinal laxatives and sleeping pills, further minimising her tangible contact with both her husband and children, because at this point there was David as yeah. well as Geoffrey. Um, and that kind of concludes the like childhood. Childhood and early years that I just tried to make into one word. And we move on to... What I is it? I have high school and adolescence. Okay. So, Dahmer attended Revere High School. And from freshman year, he was seen as an outcast. Um, by the time he was 14, he was drinking beer and quote-unquote hard alcohol. I'm assuming that means top shelf, like yeah, whiskey, so like vodka, tequila. Whiskey, tequila gin, you know, if he wasn't a like raging murderous psychopath, we'd we'd get on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I would drink. So by the time he was fourteen he was drinking beer and hard alcohol during the day, often hiding it in the jacket that he wore to school. One classmate asked him why he was drinking scotch in their morning history class, and Dahmer told him that it was his medicine. Staff described, <laughs> yeah, just, it's just my medicine. No, that actually reminds me, that's like the time I um, brought a flask into school, and it was three quarters full of like absolute vodka and a little bit of Coke, and uh, <laughs> Coca-Cola, just to clarify, and... Um, and I was just sitting there in maths class sipping away. And I actually asked one of the girls, I was like, do you want a drink? And they were like, what is it? I was like, water. And then you obviously Gosh. they were trying to hide their horror because yeah. the teacher was looking down. <laughs> Mr. Connolly. It was like, a bad phase. For me, I think it was Miss Downey. Probably. But I liked Miss Downey. Shout out to Miss Downey. I never had Miss Downey. Um, yes, I told him it was his medicine. Staff described Dahmer in his freshman year as polite and highly intelligent, but with average grades. He played tennis and he had a brief stint in the high school band. Dahmer became a class clown amongst his peers. He often staged pranks, which coined the term doing a dammer. I just had to take the headphones Doing off. a dammer. It was doing too much to me. Um, so, which coined the term doing a dammer. He would bleat, as in like, like, like a goat. But like... Bleh. As you do. Like a goat or a sheep. Um, those would be the only animals that I know of that bleat. Bleat. And I didn't even know that was a word until right now. He would also simulate epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy at school and in local stores as part of his pranks. Because that's it's so very funny. That's so funny. It just it just sounds very linking back to the depravity and lack of attention mm-hmm. in childhood. Yeah. So like he's calling them pranks when he gets caught out, but it yeah. seems to be a cry for some mm-hmm. sort of attention. Yeah. 
Um, sometimes he would carry these antics out in exchange for money so that he could buy alcohol. Okay. Um, so like his classmates could pay him to disrupt class. So. By pretending to be a yeah. or pretending to be disabled, and he would use the money to buy alcohol. By nineteen seventy. We've already got an addiction on hand here, like. Yeah. So that was when he was about fourteen, like. Yeah. Um, I had my first alcoholic drink at fourteen, and I was so traumatized that I didn't drink again for two years. Um, <laughs> By 1977, Dahmer's grades had declined so much that his parents actually hired a private tutor, but this had limited, limited success. And in the same year, in 1977, his parents, who had attended counselling sessions in an attempt to save their marriage, um, both decided to divorce because they were continuing to argue frequently. And also Lionel discovered that Joyce had had a brief affair. Um, now, I don't know if the affair was in 1977, September, or, or if he only found out about found it out then. in September 1977. But they decided to, to divorce and they told their sons that they wished to be amicable. A few weeks before Dahmer graduated high school in 1978, in May 1978, um, one of his teachers found him sitting close to the school's parking lot, drinking several cans of beer. When the teacher threatened to report him, Dahmer simply said that he was experiencing lots of problems at home and that the school's guidance counsellor was aware of them. That spring, his mother and younger brother David left home to live with relatives in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. But Dahmer, who had just turned 18, remained in the family home. His parents' divorce was finalised on July 24th, 1978, and Joyce was awarded full custody of David and alimony payments. Dahmer discovered that he was gay when he reached puberty. Um, he didn't tell his parents. He don't, don't think he told anyone. In his early teens, he had a brief relationship with another teenage boy, but it said that they didn't have sex and Dahmer later admitted that he began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner in his early to mid teens very young to be thinking of something like that and that these sexual fantasies gradually evolved to him focusing on the chests and torsos of which whoever the focus of his fantasy at that particular point in time was which then gradually became intertwined with his absolute fascination with dissection and dissecting bodies. So that's kind of how all that came into play in terms mm. of his sexual fantasies. And when he was around 16, he, Dahmer, found himself attracted to this one particular male jogger. Um, he began fantasizing about knocking this man unconscious and then, quote, making sexual use of his body. Dahmer hid himself in the bushes one day with a baseball bat waiting for this man to pass by but for whatever reason on this particular day the man never did and um, Dahmer admitted later that this was his first attempt, attempt to yeah. attack and make an individual submissive to him. Okay. It is okay. your turn. Um, so then we're moving on to Jeffrey Dahmer's first murder. <clears throat> Um, so he committed his first murder in 1978, only three weeks after his graduation. On the 18th of June, Dahmer picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks, who was almost 19 years old. Dahmer lured Stephen to his house under the idea they'd have drinks and, you know, as far as I gather, nothing more, just a few drinks. Um, Stephen had been hitchhiking to a rock concert at Chippewa Lake Park, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, in Ohio, and agreed to accompany Dahmer to his house upon the promise of a few beers, as as I said, 
um, with the villa, <laughs> and he went with Dahmer um, because Dahmer had the house to himself. Um, according to Jeffrey, the sight of Hicks standing bare-chested at the roadside stirred his sexual feelings, but when Hicks began talking about girls, Dahmer knew. Sorry, that was my shoulder. Dahmer knew that any um, sexual passes he made would be rejected. Um, after hours of talking, drinking, and listening to music, Hicks wanted to leave, but Dammer did not want him to. Dammer bludgeoned Hicks with a 4.5 kg dumbbell. He later struck Hicks twice from behind with the dumbbell as Hicks sat up uh, sat upon a chair. When Hicks fell unconscious, Jeffrey strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell and then stripped the clothes from Hicks' body before exploring his chest with his hands, then masturbating as he stood above the corpse. The next day, Dahmer dissected Stephen's body in his basement. He later buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. And weeks later, he dug up the remains and skinned the flesh from the bones. He crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woodland behind the family home. Nice. That's pleasant. So, you know, just another... Well, not another. That was the first one. But, I mean, ew... Like that poor person. Yeah. And like that was his first murder. And he's already skinning and pulverizing bones and... He's not testing the waters. He's diving headfirst. Yeah. He's like sink or swim we're going. Yeah. And that is it on that section on the first murder. Mm -hmm. So getting into his... I'm going to take the headphones off again. Um, getting into his uh, college and army service. So six weeks after Hicks's murder, Dahmer's father returned home with his new fiance. I don't know why I pronounced father like that. His father returned home with his new fiance, and they discovered that Jeffrey was living alone at the house. That August, um, Dahmer enrolled in Ohio State University. He was hoping to major in business, but because of his persistent alcohol abuse, he didn't do all that well in college. He got failing grades in Introduction to Anthropology, Classical Civilizations, and Administrative Science. Science. He was successful in riflery, getting a grade of B minus, getting a grade of B minus, but his overall GPA was zero point four five out of four point zero. Okay. At one point, his dad paid a surprise visit, only to discover that Dahmer's room was strewn with empty liquor bottles. And even though Lionel had paid in advance for Jeffrey's second term, Dahmer dropped out after just three months in college. He was like, yeah, no, it's not for me. "Mm, I'm not learning how to skin people here, I'm off. Yeah, it's no good to me. I like shooting the guns, but the rest of it's boring. So in January 1979... Dahmer's father urged him to enlist in the U.S. Army. So he completed his basic training at Fort McClellan in Anniston, Alabama, before training as as a medical specialist at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas, which, while I was researching this, I just kept thinking that's obviously where Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, I. Or at least that's what I'm getting. <laughs> I could be totally wrong. I think it's. Um, would I be right in saying NASA's in Houston? Oh, yeah, that's I think it's to do with yeah, uh, space and rockets yeah. and stuff. So while he was stationed in Texas, he was occasionally reprimanded for intoxication, 
Shock. On, yeah, shock and horror. On one occasion, he actually received a severe beating from his fellow recruits after an instance of insubordination from Dahmer resulted in punishment for his entire platoon. Um, they obviously didn't like that. No, of course not. In July 1979, Dahmer was deployed to West Germany as a combat medic. He was described as an average or slightly above average soldier, but due to his alcohol abuse, his performance deteriorated. And by 1981, he was deemed unsuitable for military service. So he was given a plane ticket to anywhere in the world and honorably discharged because the military felt that his problems wouldn't impact his civilian life. <clears throat> they obviously didn't know yeah. he was a murderer. And I suppose at this point... He's, they just think he was an alcoholic. Like, yeah. yeah. And he's only had one... Well, he's still a murderer, even though it's yeah. only one murder. But yeah. I mean, like, he's not, it, he's not been caught or mm-hmm. it's not a pattern. Either yeah. way, you've still murdered someone. Yeah, but, but it hadn't become a pattern it's not, yeah, yet. And it's point. not been apparent to anyone. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Yeah. So Dahmer felt that he couldn't go home to his dad. So he chose to go to Miami Beach, Florida, because he was tired of the cold. He said, that's what he said to investigators later. I was tired of the cold. Fair. And wanted to live by his own means. He found a job at a delicatessen and rented a room in a nearby motel. But because he was an alcoholic, he spent most of his salary on alcohol and was quickly evicted from the motel for not paying. Now, at first, he spent his evenings on the beach as he kept his job until eventually in September 1981, I think it was, he phoned his father asking could he return to Ohio. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. That's his, um, his quick stint in quick stint Florida. in Florida. Stint even, yeah, not yeah. stint. It's, stint. it's not stint. medical equipment. No. Um, so then after returning to Ohio, mm-hmm. Dammer initially lived with his father and stepmother and he insisted on being delegated numerous mm-hmm. chores to occupy his time while he was in search of work. He continued to drink heavily and only two weeks after his return he was arrested for drunken disorderly conduct. Uh, Dahmer was fined $60 and given a suspended 10 day jail sentence. Now, my breathing there. Did you hear that? <laughs> no. <sighs> Big breath. Wheezy. I'm... Anywho, uh, obviously Dama's father Lionel then tried to wean his son off of alcohol, but his attempts were unsuccessful. In December of 1981, Lionel and his wife, Dama's stepmother, sent Jeffrey to live with his grandmother in West Allis, Wisconsin. Jeffrey's grandmother was the only family member who he displayed any affection towards, and they had hoped that her influence, as well as the change of location, might persuade Jeffrey to quit drinking, find a job, and live responsibly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot to expect just from a move. Yep. Um, at first, Jeffrey's new living arrangements with his grandmother were harmonious. He went to church with her, undertook chores, actively looked for work. And he followed most of her house rules. With that said, though, he did continue to drink and smoke. Mm -hmm. Um, In early 1982, Dahmer found a job as a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. He held this job for 10 months before he was laid off. Dahmer stayed unemployed for over two years then. During this time, he lived off of whatever money his grandmother gave him. So he was basically... In a, a, a pocket money situation yeah. at the age of around 22. 
I'm not giving shade on that, though. We've all been there. Listen, we've all been broke. There's the deafening laugh. I apologize. We've all been broke. We've not all been secretly murdering people. No, that part we've we've managed to stay away from. Yeah. Um, So not long before losing his job, Dahmer had been arrested for indecent exposure. On the 7th of August 1982 at the Wisconsin State Fair Park, he was seen to have exposed himself, quote, on the south side of the Coliseum, in which 25 people were present, including women and children. Nobody want to see that. No. For this incident, he was convicted and fined $50 plus court costs, which I suppose back then was probably a significant amount more yeah. than it is now. Um, you know... And then in January of 1985, Dahmer was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. Here he worked from 11pm to 7am six nights a week with Saturday evenings off. Shortly after he found his job, Dahmer was propositioned by another man while he was sitting reading in the West Dallas Public Library. The stranger threw Dahmer a note in which he offered to perform fellatio on him. Sneaky blowjob. Oh, sneaky blowjob. I'm. Although Jeffrey did not answer the proposition proper proposition, this encounter stirred in his mind the fantasies of control and dominance he had developed as a teenager, and he began to familiarize himself with Milwaukee's gay bars, gay bathhouses, and bookstores. Mm -hmm. I'm. Jeffrey is also known to have stolen a male mannequin from a store, which he briefly used for sexual stimulation, until his grandmother found it, stowed it in a closet, and demanded that he get rid of it. Ooh. Now, of all things, a mannequin. I'm personally stuck on his nana finding it and knowing what it was for. Well, like, I mean, does she know what it was for? I don't know, because like... Because I'm like, if I found a mannequin in someone's house, that's not the first thing I'd assume, simply yeah. because of the fact I can't wrap my head around how anyone would manage to get to themselves turned on or get off to a mannequin. But I think, as is mentioned well later in, and it might even be in next week's episode, part mm-hmm. two, um, that that's um, what's got paraphilia. I think so it's like um, intense sexual attraction to something that people wouldn't typically be attracted to or an object there's a woman oh yeah there's also people who are apparently in relationship with buying 737 big toys and I'm like wonder what the runway is love (laughs) wonder what the runway is I'd like you to meet my husband He's up there. <laughs> Don't mind him. He's just a fly on the wall. <laughs> oh, I'm so then, but <laughs> I just can't get over some of this and some of those examples as well. Just like Nana, he's my mannequin. He's my boyfriend. Like, I love him. Don't make me throw him out. And I'm like, how do you know if it's a male mannequin? Because they normally don't have a... a the women mannequin have boobies. I'm so slow. They have titties. Yeah, I just completely disregarded the upper half. <laughs> yeah. I'm... That was such a weird <laughs> laugh. 
Um, by late 1985, Dammer had begun to regularly go to the bathhouses, which he, delayed, which he later described as being relaxing places. But during his sexual encounters, he became frustrated at his partner's moving during the act. <laughs> um, after his arrest, Dahmer stated, quote, I trained myself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of as people, unquote. This was the reason that from June 1986, he administered sleeping pills to his partners by giving them liquor laced with sedatives. He would then wait for his partner to fall asleep before performing different sexual acts. In order to maintain a sufficient supply of this medication, Dahmer had informed doctors about how he worked nights and required the sleeping tablets to adjust to that schedule. After roughly 12 such instances, the Bathhouse's administration revoked Jeffrey's membership and he began to use hotel rooms to continue this practice. Now, not long after his bathhouse memberships were revoked, Dammer read a newspaper report about an upcoming funeral of an 18-year-old man. He came up with the idea of stealing the freshly buried corpse and taking it home. But according to Dammer, upon attempting to dig up the coffin from the ground, he found the soil to be too hard, so he abandoned the plan. On the 8th of September 1986, Dahmer was once again arrested, this time on the charge of lewd and less... I don't know how to pronounce this. Less vicious? Less vicious, where is it? Lascivious? Lascivious or less vicious is one of the ones I would say. Um, Behaviour. For masturbating in the presence of two 12-year-old boys as he stood close to the Kinnick River. At first, Dahmer claimed he had only been urinating, unaware that there were witnesses, but he soon admitted to the offence and the charge was changed to disorderly conduct and on the 10th of March 1987, Dahmer was sentenced to one year of probation with the additional instructions to undergo counselling. And that is the end of that little part. Once again there, just to process the fact that this man saw an obituary. Yeah. And said, mm, I'm going to dig him up, take him home. So they were seeing already the starts like, of a bit of necrophilia. Yeah, like I knew he was a freak. I knew he was a weirdo. I knew he had some depraved things about him. But fucking hell. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, <clears throat> on November 20th, 1987, while Dahmer was living with his grandmother in West Alice... He rented a room at the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee. While out at a bar, he met 25-year-old Stephen Tuomi and persuaded him back to his room. Dahmer said that he had no intention of killing Stephen. He only intended to drug him and lie beside him as he explored his body. However, he woke the next morning and found Stephen lying beneath him on the bed. His chest was crushed in and he was black and blue with bruises. <clears throat> There was blood seeping from one corner of his mouth and Dahmer himself had extensive bruises on his fists and one of his forearms. He claimed to have no memory of the attack and said he, quote, could not believe this had happened. Couldn't, couldn't, can't believe, couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I've killed a man before, but, but I can't believe this. I can't remember it, so I must not have killed him. And you know, the weird thing is, though, <clears throat> one of the things I saw is that, like, later on, we'll get into it somewhere, it's apparently the second killing that he doesn't remember, which oh. is the one you've just, was that, yeah. what, what did you say the name was? Stephen Yeah, yeah. I'm, in later days, I think it's him 
that that murder that he doesn't as clearly remember or remember much of. Um, he said he doesn't remember killing him at all. He remembers like meeting him in the bar. He remembers inviting him back. But after that, um, it's a bit hazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So then, after the murder of, how did you pronounce it, Tuomi? Tuomi. Yeah. After the murder of Tuomi, Jeffrey began to actively seek out victims, most of which he encountered in or close to gay bars. Dammer would typically lure these victims to his grandmother's home. Then he would drug his victim with either triazolam, a central nervous system depressant tranquilizer, or temazepam, a medication used to treat severe insomnia, before or shortly after engaging in sexual activity with them. Once he had his victim unconscious from drugging them, he would kill them by strangling them. Now, obviously, very different things, but Mm -hmm. I do not know... How he's comfortable of obviously doing any of it in the first place. Yeah. But second of all, at your grandmother's house. As you said, I was like, in his nana's house. I can't in even, I can house. barely imagine kissing a boy in my grandmother's house. Yeah. Don't mind doing, Raping them. having a bit of some sexual deviancy and then being like, okay, bye bye, dead. Because like, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that, uh, that noise you made sums uh, it up. Uh, <laughs> Um, so then two months after the murder of Tuomi, Dahmer met a 14-year-old Native American male prostitute named James Doxtator. Now, one thing I want to say before I continue is I give no significance to the fact that he was a prostitute because I always find that in the news and stuff like that, they use it's that the in a... De- exactly. It's used in a derogative sense. Well, especially back then. Yeah. People didn't choose prostitution, they were forced into it. Or else, like... poverty. Yeah. But it's even the same nowadays. A lot of people that do, you know, prostitution are doing it because it's the best way for them at the time to make money or... Absolutely, it's the same as, like, in the Jack the Ripper case. Most people don't choose it. They had no choice. It was the only way for them to make money to support themselves because, as we know... You cannot survive in this world if you don't have the means to support yourself. And and a lot of the time, even people who have significant means, it's still a struggle to get mm-hmm. by. And at that, he was fourteen. What fourteen year old is sitting around thinking, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into prostitution"? Yeah, Just like, have you even had sex ed yet? Back then, definitely not. Yeah, I'm. So, <laughs> let's see. Where was I? Oh yeah. So Jeffrey lured the young boy to his home by offering him $50 to pose for nude pictures. At Dahmer's West Dallas resident, the two engaged in sexual activity before Dahmer drugged and strangled Oxtader on the floor of the cellar. Dahmer then left the body in the cellar for a week before he dismembered it in much the same way as he had with Tuomi. Dahmer then placed all of Doxtader's remains in the trash except for the skull. The skull was boiled and cleansed in bleach before Dahmer noted that the skull had been made too brittle by this process. So two weeks later he pulverised the skull because, you know, in its state it was apparently no good for him. Um, On the 24th of March 1988, Jeffrey met a 22-year-old bisexual man named Richard Guerrero. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I think you are best I can do anyway Um, outside of a gay bar called The Phoenix Jeffrey lured Richard to his grandmother's but this time he had offered $50 for Richard to just spend the rest of the night with him you know sounds Mm -hmm. innocent and as always Dahmer drugged Richard with sleeping pills then strangled him with a leather strap Dahmer then performed oral sex on the corpse 
and then dismembered Richard's body within 24 hours of murdering him and again disposed of the remains in the trash but kept the skull before pulverising it months later. On the 23rd of April, Geoffrey Dahmer once again lured another man to his house but this time, after he had given his intended victim a drugged coffee, both he and the intended victim heard Dahmer's grandmother call out, Is that you, Jeff? Although Dahmer replied in a way that led his grandmother to believe he was on his own, she observed that Dahmer was not alone. Mm -hmm. Due to this, Dahmer decided not to kill this victim and instead waited until he'd become unconscious before taking him to the county general hospital. So, thank God for Grandma, for his granny in that situation for for the the intended victim. Mm Now, in September of 1988, Dammer's grandmother asked him to move out, mostly due to his drinking and habit of bringing young men to her house late at night, as well as the foul smells that would occasionally emanate from both the basement and the garage. Imagine being her when she finds yeah. out what he had done. Well, was she still alive when he was arrested? Now, that's what I'm wondering. I didn't check that out. Um, so, Dammer then found a one-bedroom apartment at... 808 North 24th Street and moved into his new home on September 25th. Two days after this, he was once again arrested, but this time for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy who he had lured to his home under the guise of posing for nude photographs. Was that by any chance um, Zombie? I'm not sure, I didn't get a name. Oh, it's, it's a tricky one to pronounce. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, Lionel, Dahmer's father, hired an attorney named Gerald Boyle to defend his son. At the request of Boyle, Dahmer underwent a series of psychological evadu- evad- evaluations. Josh, you know he doesn't like that. Um, evaluations prior to his upcoming court hearings. These evaluations revealed that Dahmer had deep feelings of social disconnect or social alienation. Um, a second evaluation that was done two months later showed that Dahmer was an impulsive individual, that he was suspicious of others, and that he was also dismayed by his lack of accomplishments in life. Jeffrey's probation officer also uh, referenced a 1987 diagnosis of Dahmer suffering from schizoid personality disorder for presentation mm-hmm. to the court. On January 30th, 1989, Jeffrey Dahmer pleaded guilty to the charges of second-degree sexual and su- sexual assault and of enticing a child for immor- immoral purposes. Sentencing for the assault was suspended until May. Um, on the 20th of March, Dahmer began a 10-day Easter absence from work, during which he moved back into his grandmother's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, two months after his conviction and two months before his sentencing for the sexual assault, Jeffrey murdered his fifth... Uh, fifth victim, a mixed-race 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, who once again he met at a gay bar um, on March 25th, 1989. According to Dahmer, this time he was actually not looking to commit any crime. However, not long before closing time that evening, Sears, quote, just started talking to me, unquote. Jeffrey Dahmer then lured Sears to his grandmother's home, where they engaged in oral sex before Dahmer dug and strangled Sears. Um, so this time the oral sex, I suppose, was consensual, but mm-hmm. the drugging and the strangling was not, in case that needed to be clarified. Clear. Um, the next morning, Jeffrey placed the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub. Here he decapitated the body before attempting to skin the corpse. Dahmer stripped the flesh from the body and pulverized the bones, which he disposed of in the trash. 
According to Dahmer, he found Sears exceptionally attractive, and Sears was also the first victim that Dahmer permanently retained any body parts from. He preserved Sears' head and genitalia in acetone and stored them in a wooden box, and as you do, he later placed them in his work locker. When he moved, yeah, when he moved to a new address the next year, he then obviously took the remains there with him. Um, and then on the 23rd of May 1989, Dammer was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Correction with work, with, with work release allowed in order that he be able to keep his job. Dammer was also required to register as a sex offender. And was this for the molestation of the young boy? Yes. So the um, name that I was thinking of wasn't Zombie, it was so, uh, Soma. Okay. And this was the young boy. Yeah, I think this was him. Yeah, because this guy, this boy, never got killed or anything. Yeah, but he is linked to another victim. Oh, I, think I know this. Yeah, yeah. covering. Um, so is it my turn? Uh, nope, nearly oh, there. Okay, more. Okay. Um, two months before Dahmer's scheduled release from the work camp, he was paroled from from this regime. His five years probation imposed in nineteen eighty nine began at this point. So, upon release, Dahmer temporarily moved back into his grandmother's home in West Allis. Uh, in May 1990, Jeffrey then moved into the Oxford Apartments located on 25th Street in Milwaukee. Although this was located in a high-crime area, the apartment was close to his workplace, it was furnished, and it was only $300 a month, which included all bills except for electricity, making it very good value for money. I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'd risk getting stabbed on the daily for that. Yeah, for that. Can That's invest, kind of... Invest in good locks, you'd be fine. Would you, yeah, but go away. Nowadays, you'd still be looking at probably fucking a grand for that. Mm-hmm. It's like you might get stabbed just when you walk bedroom, out the door. Just for a bedroom in the area, at least a grand. Probably. Well, I don't know, because I don't know the area, but if we're judging <laughs> it Ireland. based on Ireland. <laughs> Ireland. And now, over to you, my dude. My dudette. My dudette. Uh, so, on May 14th, 1990, Dahmer moved from his grandmother's house to 924 North 25th Street, apartment 213. He took Sears' mummified head and genitals with him. Within one week of moving in, he had already killed his sixth victim. Raymond Smith was a 32-year-old male prostitute, and like Josh said, any time we're doing a case like this, there is no judgment for anyone who's in the sex work industry. It's just merely to use whether, it as a description of what they were doing. Yeah, whether it's personal choice or something that they've had no choice but to yeah. do, it's their choice and we utterly respect it. It's like, because I just don't like how, like, like a lot of the time when I hear people saying it in podcasts and stuff, there doesn't yeah. seem to be any, you know, ill will or judgment. Yeah. But a lot of the time in newspapers or mainstream very, media, it comes very across, judgmental, very yeah, judgmental. very judgmental, condescending and just looking looking down on like it's not nice yeah exactly it's like they try to use it as a word that means it matters less but it yeah, doesn't they try to use it in a derogatory way that's the one um so Dahmer had lured Raymond to the apartment with the offer of $50 in exchange for sex and once Raymond was inside the apartment Dahmer slipped seven sleeping pills into into a drink and gave it to him that sounds like a lot yeah before strangling him the next day, Dahmer went out and bought a Polaroid camera and used it to take several pictures of Raymond's body in suggestive positions before dismembering him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, arms and pelvis in a steel kettle with Soilex and he did this because it made it easier for him to rinse off the bones so that he would just have the bones and he wouldn't have to deal with the organs and the skin and all of that other stuff. 
And it's really weird the way, obviously, that Silex stuff works because I know I mention it at some point as well, mm -hmm. but the point I mention it in is he was actually using it for preservation. But I suppose he wasn't, I don't know, was he boiling really for preservation? Yeah, and I suppose with different strengths, you'd probably get different effects. Because I know when I looked up Silex, yeah, it is for removing tough stains and grease and things like Lovely. that. Lovely. So, I guess... We love a resourceful queen. <clears throat> nice. Anyway, so Dammer then dissolved the rest of Raymond's skeleton except for his skull in a container filled with acid. He spray-painted... Raymond's skull at a later date and put it next to Sears skull on a black towel inside a metal filing cabinet. About one week later, on or around May 27th, Dahmer enticed another man back to his apartment. However, on this occasion, he mixed up the drinks. Oh no, he drank it. He drank the sedative Well, I don't know why I'm saying oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, he drank I'm like, oh no for him, but oh yes for yeah. the other person. So he drank the sedative lace drink himself and when he woke up he discovered that his would-be victim had stolen some of his clothes three hundred dollars and a watch to which i say karma go is on a you bitch. good thing go on you good thing and that wasn't nearly enough karma yeah. but it's it's something mm -hmm. so Dahmer obviously never reported this to the police oh, yeah but on may 29th he did divulge to his probation officer that he had been robbed in June 1990, Dahmer lured 27-year-old Edward Smith to his apartment where he drugged and strangled him. This time, rather than immediately acidifying the skeleton or repeating other bleaching processes, he decided to try something new because his old processes had made the victim's skulls brittle. So he tried putting Edward's skeleton in the freezer for a few months, hoping that it wouldn't retain moisture. Mm. However, this did not remove moisture. Yeah, because it's not going to remove it. It's just going to freeze it. Yeah, it's not going to remove moisture. It's not going to pre prevent it from retaining moisture. And as a result, the skeleton was acidified months later. When Dahmer tried drying Edward's skull out by putting it in the oven, it exploded. He did what? He tried drying out the skull. In the oven? In the oven. And it, it exploded. Yeah. Um, he later said to police that he felt, quote, rotten about Edward's murder as he hadn't been able to keep any of his body parts. That's why you feel that's why he felt rotten about it. Yeah. That's why. That's the one. That's the one. So less than three months later, after murdering Edward Smith, Dahmer met twenty two year old Ernest Miller outside a bookshop. Ernest agreed to go to Dahmer's apartment for fifty dollars and so that Dahmer could listen to his heart and stomach. When Dahmer attempted to perform oral sex on Ernest, he was told, that'll cost you extra. At which point, Dahmer gave him a drink laced with two sleeping pills. Now, as he only had two sleeping pills to give Ernest, I'm assuming he was concerned that he would wake up. So Dahmer killed him by slashing his carotid artery with the knife that he usually used to dissect bodies. So this is a bit of a deviation from him strangling yeah. his victims, but it was because he'd only been able to give him two pills and he was concerned he was going to wake up in the middle of the murder or in the middle of whatever. He didn't want to have to like fight to pin him down. Yeah. So Ernest bled to death in mere minutes and Dahmer posed his body nude for a variety of suggestive Polaroids before placing it in his bathtub and dismembering it. Now this is the point where I, like after I finished this paragraph, I had to take a break. Um, because he repeatedly kissed and talked to Ernest's severed head as he dismembered his body. And then Dahmer wrapped Ernest's heart 
biceps and portions oh of God. flesh from his legs in plastic bags and put them in the fridge so he could eat them. Just in case he needs a midnight snack. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. Yep. He then boiled the remaining flesh and organs using Silex and to preserve the skeleton, he placed the bones in a light bleach solution, light bleach solution, sorry, for 24 hours before allowing them to dry in a cloth for one week. The severed head was initially placed in the fridge before being stripped of flesh, painted and then coated in enamel and stored with Sears and um, Smith's skulls. Three weeks after Ernest's murder on September 24th, Dahmer met 22-year-old David Thomas at the Grand Avenue Mall. He persuaded him back to his apartment for a few drinks and an offer to pay him to pose for photographs. Dahmer later stated to police that after drugging David, he didn't feel attracted to him but he didn't want to wake him in case he was angry over being drugged, so he strangled and dismembered him anyway, but he intentionally didn't keep any of the remains. He did keep photos that he had taken during the dismemberment process, which did help in identifying David, Yeah. but because he wasn't attracted to him, he didn't keep any of his remains. After David's murder, Dahmer didn't kill anyone else for almost five months, but there were at least five occasions between... October 1990 and February 1991, where he had failed attempts at luring men back to his apartment. So, so he was trying, but nobody was not fighting. succeeding. So throughout 1990, he spoke to his probation officer about feelings of anxiety and depression and harboring suicidal thoughts with frequent reference references to his sexuality, his solitary lifestyle and financial difficulties. Okay. So he was... He seemed to have confided um, quite a bit in his probation officer. Obviously nothing about the murder. Obviously nothing that would get him in more trouble or arrested. But in terms of his mental health and all of yeah. the other things that were going on in his life. He yeah. was very open about with him. Oh, excuse me. Um, it's so hot in here. Did you open the window? No, it's okay. I'm just stroke. It's fine. Um, too polite. So then we move on to 1991. And in February of 1991... Dahmer watched Curtis, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the surname right, Curtis Strotter, who was 17 years old, um, at a bus stop near Marquette University. According to Dahmer, like with other victims, he lured Curtis into his apartment with an offer of money for posing for nude photos, but with the added incentive of sexual intercourse. Dahmer drugged Curtis, cuffed his hands behind his back, then strangled him to death with a leather strap. Then he dismembered Curtis, keeping only the teen's skull, hands and genitals as he photographed again each stage of the dismemberment process. Lovely. What a lovely hobby. Yeah. What did you do today? Oh, I took a photography class. Mm-hmm. Um, dismemberment. Um, on April 7th, less than two months later, Jeffrey Dahmer encountered Errol Lindsay, who was 19 years old and was walking to get a key cut. Errol was straight, heterosexual, whatever your preferred word is. Uh, Dammer lured, lured, he lured him. Lured him. Dammer lured, oh my God, I can't speak. It's the headphones. No, I'm just having difficulty with that word because I've said it so much. Lured Errol to his apartment where he drugged him and then he drilled a hole in Errol's skull. And poured hydrochloric acid into it. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. According to Dahmer, Errol Lindsay actually woke up after this experiment saying, 
I have a headache. What time is it? Oh my god. Yes. Uh, that. Give me a minute mm-hmm. to process that, please. That is. Let me. I need to take the headphones off. That. That is, is something beyond, else. That is beyond fucked up. Like, everything he's done has been fucked up. But, like, to him, point. this was an experiment. There's logic to it. But, like... Oh, my good God. Like... I'm horrified. I'm, I'm horrified. like, how did he wake up saying he had a headache and not screaming? Oh, I probably destroyed certain parts. Probably nerve endings like, and whatever. Mer- probably a miracle that he even woke up and said that. Yeah. But, you see, I'm... According to... Dammer, um, Dammer had conceived this experiment in an attempt of inducing a permanent unresistive submissive state. Sorry, unresistant submissive state. Um, so it wasn't actually his intention to kill this time. But then obviously it clearly didn't work. So Dammer then drugged Errol again and strangled him. He decapitated Errol and kept his skull. Then he skinned the body, placing the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for a few weeks in the hope of keeping it permanently. And reluctantly then Dammer ended up disposing of the skin when he noticed it had become too frayed and oh. brittle. Um, so I dissociated there for a solid five seconds. What did you say he was doing with the skin? Uh, he kept it in a solution of cold water and salt for a few weeks in the hopes of permanently keeping it. But then obviously he noticed it had become too frayed and brittle, so he did dispose of it in the end. I... It gives me, do you know that one from Doctor Who vibes? <laughs> Missed me. Moisturised Yeah. Moisturised me. That one. Um, now, obviously by this time in 1991... Other residents at the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager, Sopa Princewell, about the foul smells coming from the apartment, um, specifically his apartment, 213, as well as the sounds of falling objects and this one, and the occasional sound of a chainsaw. Like, because the thing is, I watched the first two episodes of Dahmer, the TV show on Netflix. The new one? I haven't started it yet. I was waiting until all this is done so that I can kind of see what I think of it. I literally, I watched two episodes and then I was like, okay, I would like to be able to eat my dinner. <laughs> so let's watch Yeah, I've heard else. it is very... Very gruesome. Yeah. Um, and, like, there was a scene where his neighbour, like, got out of the bed late at night. And at first I didn't really click to what she was hearing. But, like, there was a vent in the wall between the two apartments. I don't know how true to life that is. Okay. But it kind of showed her walking towards the vent and you could hear a chainsaw. And she had also complained to him about the smell and he was making... Which, if there was a vent, the smell would come true as well. Yeah, because he was making these excuses in the show, at least. Again, not sure. I think I I have some excuses in a minute, so... he was saying, um, I had meat in my freezer that went bad... And she was like, okay, well, that was a week ago. The smell should be gone by now. And then he was like, oh, my tropical fish. Yeah. Died. They get this thing called This is, egg. that's true. Yeah, like, just fucking crazy shit. Like, imagine hearing chainsaws going off at all hours of the night. At your in an apartment as well. So it's yeah. not like someone's in their garden yeah, cutting like, a tree it, at a weird hour. Yeah, the chainsaw at, like, nine o'clock at night, but he's just cutting wood for the fire. And there's like, no, like, immediate neighbours here no. to noise pollute. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's the arse in the nowhere in the Irish countryside. Like, yeah. I'm... So, let's see. Oh, yeah. So, Princewell contacted Dahmer regarding the complaints on multiple occasions. At first, Dahmer excused the orders coming from his apartment, saying it was due to his freezer breaking, causing its contents to spoil. Mm, there we go. 
Uh, and on a later occasions, he told Prince Will that the reason the smell had returned was because several of his tropical fish had recently died and that he would take care of the matter. Okay, get, I've never had tropical fish. They get something called ick. But I've had goldfish. And I have never known when they pass away to stink up a place to an extent of neighbours in an apartment block complaining. If you walk into your sitting room or your kitchen or wherever you choose to keep your fish, it's a personal preference, and you notice that they're dead, do you not immediately take care of them? Like, fair enough, sometimes you might not have time. You might have to run to work and then do it when you get home. But, like, like, I can't see them being there long enough to make a smell in an apartment block. You shouldn't have fish in the first place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, now, on the afternoon of the 26th of May, 1991, Dahmer met a 14-year-old Lao teenager. Yeah. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I always say Laos, and I feel like you're probably more correct there. Yeah, because it just says L-A-O. Oh, well, I saw L-A-O-S. So um, Lao, and then if you're from there, you're Laos. Maybe. Maybe, but anyway, sorry. Um, teenager named Conorak Sithansomphone. Um, I was trying to figure out how to pronounce that earlier. I googled and it I... and that's what it told me it was. Synthasymphone. Synthasymphone. Um, so, phone uh, on Wisconsin Avenue. Lao people are a Thai ethnic group native to South, uh, Southeast Asia. Now, there is loads more information about that ethnic group if you want to look it up. I yeah. probably have a resource in the episode description that yeah. links to that. So, check it out if you want to know more. Now, Dahmer did not know that Sintansomphone was actually the younger brother of the boy who Dahmer had molested in 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer approached the teen with an offer of money to go with him to his apartment to pose for Polaroid pictures. And according to Dahmer, Sintansomphone was Connor. reluctant at first, but then changed his mind and went with Dahmer to the apartment. At the apartment, uh, Conorak posed for two pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him into uh, unconsciousness and performed oral sex on him. Before Conorak um, passed out, Dahmer led the boy to the bedroom where the body of 31-year-old Tony Hughes, an aspiring model that Dahmer had killed three days earlier, lay naked on the floor. Dahmer later said that he believed that Conorak saw this body, but did not react to seeing the bloated corpse, most likely due to the effects of the sleeping pills Dahmer had drugged him with. Mm-hmm. Now, this time, uh, Dahmer drilled one narrow hole into the crown of Conorak's oh, skull, God. and he injected hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe through this narrow hole. Then Dahmer drank multiple beers while lying, lying beside Conorak before briefly falling asleep, then he left his apartment to drink at a bar and to purchase porches, to purchase more alcohol. So just to recap, Dammer led Conorak uh, to his apartment on the afternoon of May 26th mm-hmm. and now in the early hours of May 27th. So you could say, you know, it's yeah. it's could even be considered late at night of the 26th. Um, but anyway, early hours of May 27th, as Dahmer was on his way back um, to the apartment after his little alcohol run, he came across Conorak sitting naked on the corner of 25th and State, talking in Lao, with three distressed young women standing near him. Dahmer went up to the women and told him that Conorak, who Dahmer referred to as John Hmong, oh, yeah, was his friend, and he attempted to lead him back to his apartment by the arm, but the three women persuaded Dahmer not to and explained that they had already phoned 911. Um, so, prepare to be pissed off, people. I feel like I know where this is going. Go 
So on the arrival of two Milwaukee police officers, John Balsazak and mm-hmm. Joseph Gabrish, yep. Dahmer's demeanor relaxed. He told the officers that Conorak, who he called John, was his 19-year-old boyfriend, that he drank too much alcohol following an argument, and that he often behaved this way when intoxicated. Dahmer also added that his lover had consumed Jack Daniels whiskey that evening. Okay, it was the Jack Daniels that did it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the three women were understandably frustrated that both the officers had not observed any injuries apart from a scrape to Connor X knee, as well as believing he was intoxicated. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me just take a wild guess here. They believed Dahmer, and they let him take him back. We're getting there. Um, and when one of them tried to indicate to the officers that Conorak had blood on his testicles, was bleeding from his rectum, and that he seemingly struggled against Armour's attempts to walk him back to the apartment prior to the arrival of the police officers, the officer harshly told her, butt out, and then another one, shut the hell up, and to not interfere. Not long after the arrival of the Milwaukee police officers... Three members of the Milwaukee Fire Department arrived at the scene. The members of the fire department also examined Conorak for injuries and provided a yellow blanket for the police officers to cover Conorak because, again, he was naked. Uh, One of the three uh, believed that Conorak did need treatment, but the police officers told the fire department personnel to leave. Um, A little after this... Yeah, so one of the fire people obviously were saying, bring him to the hospital, get him started. Yeah, and and the police were just like, fuck were off. They were literally arguing with these two police officers. At least one of them was anyway. Out, yeah, and just being told, shut up, but out, fuck off, basically. He's got scratches. He's resisting against going with this man. He's clearly afraid. And the police are like, oh, but this white man, this white blonde oh, man yeah, yeah, yeah. has said this is his 19-year-old lover. There's we're definitely gonna, like we're gonna believe him racial bias the, here. the Asian man. Over this young Asian man who's clearly distressed, distressed, not, not with the program, not with the program because he's just. And how did nobody find the hole drilled in his, his head if they examined like, him? The stupidity, the absolute, and it's not—it's not even stupidity; it's willful ignorance. Oh yeah, absolute willful ignorance. Go on, annoy me more. Go on. So obviously, after the police had told the fire department personnel to leave, um, not too long after that, Officer Richard Porubkan arrived at the scene. Porubkan and Gabrish, followed by Balserzak, escorted Dahmer and Conorak to Dahmer's apartment uh, as Dahmer yep, commented repeatedly on the general crime in the neighbourhood and of his appreciation of the police. So oh. let's just do a bit of lick arsing while we walk back, just to seal the deal. Now, wait for it, it gets worse. Once inside his apartment, let's remember that there's this still the bloated body mm-hmm. on the floor in the bedroom. So once inside his apartment, Dahmer attempted to verify his claim that he and Conorak were lovers by showing officers the two semi-nude Polaroid pictures he had taken of the youth mm-hmm. the previous evening. Yeah. So I suppose that helped him in that moment as well, even yeah. though they seemed to like, be listening to him and believing him anyway. But like, of all the... Fo- like, if I was trying to prove that my boyfriend was my boyfriend, I would be showing like pictures that we've taken on like days out. But I suppose back then, nudes were less of a thing, were they not? So if you have nudes of someone, it's obviously very personal. Whereas nowadays, we'll send it to anyone, really. Go Snapchat. I'm not even sent my boyfriend nudes, bless him. (laughs) I'm not commenting on this topic because I don't want to slut shame myself. (laughs) I'm pleading the fifth. Yes. Um, 
I plead but the yeah, Fifth so, Amendment yeah, right to avoid self-incrimination. This is my boyfriend. Here's some semi-nude pictures we took earlier. Yeah. And so. the police were like, yeah. Okay. Lovely. Congratulations. Cute. There you go. I'll have mm-hmm. you carry your fucking murder room. So, the semi-nude Polaroids. Um, so, Bell Serzak said that he had smelled nothing unusual, but Gabrish later stated that he noticed a strange scent inside the apartment that reminded him of feces. The odour would have been coming from the decomposing body of Hughes that was still in the bedroom of the apartment. Mm-hmm. Dahmer later stated that to investigate this odour, one officer only, quote, peeked his head around the bedroom but really didn't take a good look. The officers then decided to leave, Our remarking, view. yeah, so looked in quickly, but obviously not enough to see a dead body on the floor. Would um, smell not have gotten stronger? Who cares? <laughs> he was just like, oh, he probably shit the bed. Who knows? Like, honestly. Um, but wait for this. This pissed me off as well. Oh the officers then decided to leave, remarking that Dahmer, quote, take good care of Conorak as they were leaving, and then the incident was listed by the officers as a domestic dispute. I'm speechless. Yeah. Like, ridiculous, carry on. Now, after the three officers departed, departed Dahmer's apartment, he again injected hydrochloric acid into Conorak's brain. So this is the second time, and this second injection was fatal. Um, The next day, May 28, Dahmer took a day of leave from work in order to give himself time to dismember the bodies of Conorak and Tony. Uh, Once again, he kept the skulls of his victims. On the 30th of June, Dahmer travelled to Chicago, where he encountered Matt Turner, who was 20 years old, at a bus station. Once again, Dahmer made an offer, but this one was different to previous offers. Um, Matt accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. What a Polaroid camera, is it, love? Yeah, because he's a professional photographer. Um, once at the apartment, Dahmer drugged, strangled and dismembered Matt Turner and put his head and internal organs into separate plastic bags in the freezer... And Matt was not reported missing. Um, on July 5th, only five days later, Dahmer lured another victim to his apartment, 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger, um, who uh, he met in a bar in Chicago. Dahmer had told Jeremiah they could spend the weekend together, and Dahmer then drugged Jeremiah, and this time injected boiling water through his skull twice. This sent Jeremiah into a coma, and he died two days later. Um. On the 15th of July, Dahmer met uh, Oliver Lacey, who was 25, sorry, 24 years old, and he met him at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne. Oliver agreed to Dahmer's ruse of posing nude for photographs and accompanied him to his apartment, where they engaged in tentative sexual activity before Dahmer drugged Oliver. This time, Dahmer had actually planned to prolong the time he spent with Oliver while he was still alive. But after an unsuccessful attempt at rendering Oliver unconscious with chloroform, he phoned his work to request a day's absence. This was approved, but the next day Dahmer was suspended. Um, After Dahmer strangled Oliver, he had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. He put Oliver's head and heart in the refrigerator um, and his skeleton in the freezer. On July 19th, which was four days later, Dahmer found out he was fired. And after hearing this news, he lured Joseph Braidhoft to his apartment. Uh, Joseph was 25 years old. 
and Joseph was strangled and left lying on Dahmer's bed covered with a sheet for two days. On the 21st of July, Dahmer removed the sheet to find the head was covered in maggots. He then decapitated the body, cleaned the head, and then placed it in the refrigerator. Later, he acidified, or you could say dissolved, Mm. Joseph's torso along with uh, those of the two other victims he had killed in the last month. And that concludes that section, which was the 1991 killings, yes? Mm -hmm. Um... And then I think, did we say we were going to stop it here? Are we going to... Is that where we're stopping? Because the next I think it is. Capture. It's the capture, is it? Yeah, and then for me it's the confession. So we're going to... Well, I'm still processing. Yeah, like I'm kind ask. of... With all of this, I just don't even know what to say. Like, don't get me wrong. Every thing he did to all of his victims was absolutely... But there was a chance for Conor Ack to be saved. What as well, it's the fact that like... Not only did he do what he did to Conorak, he molested his brother. So he's destroyed one family, family twice. twice. First time molesting. Like obviously, brother, yeah, it wasn't intentional. He didn't know they were related. If he did, he might have avoided because you don't want to. Because he got charged with the previous, yeah. with the. Then like the police, just those two officers. But like, was that not on his record? Like, could they not have like checked? I know now technology wouldn't be the same as it is now where they can just whip out their phone, type yeah, in a name or get a system up. But even like when they got back to the station, they could have like, you know, gone, like ran the maybe, name. Maybe I should run his name. But like, clearly Seeing they were too incompetent. But... And I hope they never get a moment's peace again. Um, As far as I know, they were fired. Good. I don't know when or how long after this, but I think a few Probably of them, if not all the of them, were, were yeah. fired. Um... Yeah, what was it, John Ballweg and... I don't know, because to be honest, even their surnames are... Oh, I know his surname. Weird. I'll just just refer to him as John Ballweg. No, I know, but what I'm saying is I just don't, like, even through that, out of all the names I make sure to try and pronounce right, I couldn't, frankly, give a flying fuck how I pronounce theirs. Ballweg. Because I just don't see, regardless of the time... Mm. It was, or, you know, the year. I just don't understand how that wasn't copped. Yeah. And that could have been the end of it. It could have been. Because like, there was already way too many. One is too many. One is way too many. And then, I, yeah, look. That's part one. That is part We're one. We're going to cap it at that for part one. In part two, we will cover his... Arrest, confession. Arrest, how he got caught, his confession. Trial. The trial and the and, aftermath. Yeah, and, and that, kind, that of kind of thing. And so the next episode... There is a few long sections, mm-hmm. and, but, it should be but it might not be quite as long as this episode. But sure. who knows with us? Who yeah. knows? We we do tend to go off on rambles. Um, but I'm, and that is basically the murders and everything covered up until him getting caught. Mm-hmm. So, so that is part one of the Jeffrey Dahmer case. Thank as you always, for thank listening. You so much for listening. And thank you for bearing with the new equipment. Yeah, I give up on the headphones. I haven't had them on for the last 45 minutes, to be quite honest. Yeah, I pushed through and now I'm used to it and I prefer um, it. I think it's the ADHD for me. I just get very distracted by my voice bouncing back at me. Even though there is a little bit of delay, it still impacts me going into the next sentence I found and also I feel like I sound like I'm emotionless and I don't want to sound like I'm emotionless given given the topics that we're covering. Yeah. Um, I think it benefits me because I have to think more about talking. You do so talk then I a slow lot down faster than I do. Like the way the the speed at which you talk is perfect for my brain because of the ADHD and things. 
but in terms anyone of who knows me is able to keep up with me yeah, but people who aren't used to me probably cannot all the time keep up with me we've known each other for 15 years i just realized i've been listening to you and you've been listening to me for 15 years oh my god Oh, story, not to do with us, just I remembered it. Okay. Um, you know how we were saying about how I'm a part of the case? What was it about pretending something was a prescription or something like that? Oh, the sleeping pills. When he was getting the sleeping pills or to do with his mother's prescription? No, I'm not sure what it was. I think... Remember, and I was saying, I said about bringing the vodka to school. Oh, when he was bringing his drink to school under his jacket. Yeah. And he said it was his medicine. His medicine. There we go. Yeah. That's it. Okay. That reminds me, actually, when I was in, I don't know, was I in juniors or senior infants, oh, right? I think seniors, probably. But I used to come out of class for a while and go to, like... Resource? Is that what it was called? Like extra help in yeah. certain subjects. Yeah. yeah, so I'd go to that and... I think it was just because I couldn't concentrate in class. Okay, right, fair enough. Early signs of mental problems. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Um, so I... Obviously that was back in the day where everyone was obsessed with Tic Tacs. Yes. I put Tic Tacs into a like medicine, a medicine thing. Case. And I used to just take them whenever I wanted in class. And, I've, and, it, and when the teacher asked me about it, I was like, oh no, it's my medicine. I have to take it. And she believed me. I only ended up you getting caught. Because one of the, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just chilling in class, eating Tic Tacs every now and then just popping a Tic Tac and passing it off as medication. And the only reason I ended up getting caught was because I didn't have that many Tic Tacs one day and I refused to give one to one of the lads so they did the rat. You won't show your TikToks. I'm telling the teacher they're not actually on medication. I never should have been. Should have been, been, but wasn't. <laughs> should have been medicated. <laughs> I never did anything like that, but I know when I was like getting ready to get my communion, you know, back when I was Catholic. Getting all excited for that bread. Let's yeah. get that bread. So I used to practice taking my first Holy Communion. You shut the front door. With those giant Milky Way buttons. Yeah. Yeah, and like I remember being up at like David Conroy's shop. Yeah. Town. And like I must have looked like a little fucking psycho to anyone going past. Cause, you like, still do. Yeah, I do. Same. And Dad Duh. got in to pay for like petrol or diesel or whatever, and I was just sitting in the car <laughs> with my little buttons. Body of Christ. <laughs> this is the body of Christ. Amen. I'm gonna have to <laughs> try and minimise that laugh because I actually Amen. hurt myself. You're lucky you don't have the headphones on. <laughs> so yeah, there you go, guys. Some little anecdotes from our fucked up childhoods. <laughs> So I was tip of the iceberg. taking the body of Christ and, and I was, was I was on that. prescription Tic Tacs. <laughs> oh, would you stop? Actually, they'd have been fairly expensive if they were prescription. There'd have been no refill. Anyway, um, hopefully that's a bit of a lighter tone to end this on than what we've been talking about. Yes. We are going to go and record part two. And Enjoy. yes, so make sure to join us next week for capture confession trial a bit more about the victims um only a little bit because it you know we couldn't find a whole lot yeah. but um, so, anywho so there you go um hope you all sleep well tonight after that well monday night after that yes and we will speak to you soon bye bye for now Bye. see you next week <laughs>